God, I hope my family doesn't watch or listen to this. Episode number three of Leeson Learn. That's right. We are three weeks into this thing now. Uh, thank you to everyone who has watched the videos on YouTube, uh, everyone who has listened on uh, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere that you get your podcasts. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for all of your support. And uh, we hope that you're enjoying these. I have certainly enjoyed bringing them to you. Um, I am very excited for my guest this week. He is, um, well, quite frankly, he is someone I consider to be my little brother in, uh, in stand-up comedy and, and in life. I've known this guy for, uh, I, I don't know, tw 12, maybe more years, maybe 15 years now that we've known each other. I met, uh, I, we met in London, Ontario. I was running a, a very odd uh, stand-up comedy, uh, not club, but a, like a bar with a comedy show at it uh, that was a, a monthly show. I got an email from a, a young comedian that was looking to get some stage time, and uh, ever since, we have been uh, very close, and like I said, I consider this guy a brother. He... Um, him and I have toured all across the country together. He's on CBC Gem right now. You can check it out at, uh, at cbcgem.com or CBC. Just Google G CBC Gem. You know, you know how to get the fucking thing, don't you? At this point, can you not figure out how to find a video? Of course you can, but that's where you find it. And I am very excited. This was a, a very, very interesting chat with, um, with my buddy, Al Val. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, Al Val, not your real name, mm -mm. not your, a shortened version of your name, let's mm -hmm. say. Real name. Algis Vita Santanas Valudis. Which is, of course, Lithuanian. Lithuanian. Yeah. Probably my favorite name, I would say, uh, like of anybody's full name, you know? Probably my favorite. But in my family, doesn't break top three. And you are actually Algis Valudis. Junior, junior, named right? after my father. Right. Yeah. And and uh, who is is he? Uh, Valu, uh, Antonis. What is it? The middle. The no. Middle? Vitas. Uh, Algis Paulus Jonas Valulis. I think. See now, I think overall your full name, right? Yeah. Sounds a little better than that. I think it flows better. I think so too. Right. Yeah. But you are indeed a junior. I am not indeed. the third. You're a junior. Uh, inferior in every way. But not the oldest son, which no. I find, I've always found interesting is your dad did not name his firstborn son after himself. He waited until his second. Well, Paul is, my brother Paul is, Polus is like his name, and that's my dad's middle name. Right. So my dad wanted his name to make an appearance in there. And oh, then wow. He was so like, he did middle he's name. A supporting cast. Right. And then he had me, and he was like, that's the lead right there. He took one look at my baby face and was like, that's a leading role. 
That's a leading man in the valueless family. <laughs> you have a big family. I do. Uh, how many brothers and sisters? Three sisters, one brother. <laughs> why so? Why so quiet into the mic there? A lot of people listening to this can't. They wouldn't have seen what it's you just so did. It's so factual. But, I just wanted to make it interesting. Right. So three sisters, one brother. That is correct. Everyone older except for one sister, right? Yeah. So you're the second youngest. Mm -hmm. It goes, uh, Dinah, two years. Aurelia, two years. Paul, two years. Me, like clockwork. And then Vanessa, seven years after me. Wow. Go figure. Interesting. Yeah. And, and so in your family, right? You grew up in Whitby, Ontario. Mm -hmm. uh, in your family... Who is the funniest member of that family? Paul, for sure. And everyone across the board would say that. I don't break top three. Who's who is below Paul? Uh, probably, uh, probably my mom <laughs> when she doesn't try, and then, uh, and then maybe me. My dad is like my dad's quippy sometimes. So like slide one in there, right? Unexpectedly, right? So growing up. Uh, your dad is, of course, a doctor. Yeah. Right? Of uh, what kind of doctor? A general surgeon. General surgeon. Yeah. Uh, growing up, the son of a general surgeon, Whitby, Ontario, yeah. second youngest of five children, uh -huh. right? Uh, what were you like as a kid? I was really quiet, kept to myself. Right. Uh, around the home, at least. Really barely said anything. Yeah. My family used to make fun of me for being a space cowboy. Because sometimes we would be like driving to some family event yeah. and then maybe halfway there, a little pipsqueak voice from the back would be like, uh, where are we going again? Like I would just get dragged everywhere and just not, I don't know, just go along with it. I would just be there. I was like a f little phantom boy. Interesting. With right. no personality. Until like university, people are like, oh, he's, he's a human being with... In your Thoughts family? Emotions, yeah. What about your friends? Like uh, during during your childhood years, elementary school, high school, are you, what do you like around f friends? So this is the thing. I was a goof with my three best friends. Yeah. Growing up, Kieran, Phil, and Johnny. But I was also a huge turd until grade 10. Like I was the one that, I was, I was always pretty naturally gifted. So I'd like pull good grades and shit. But I was like a huge brown noser and a kiss ass. So like I had friends, my, I, I would, I was, it was a reconciling thing. It was like, fuck, what word am I looking for? It was, at least I had that, you know what I mean? That I was funny and I was a goof sometimes, but I would do things that would piss people off. Like if I got like what a 98, if I got like 24 to 25 on a test, I would go up to the teacher and be like, yeah, but I would, I would argue that this is correct because, uh, I would argue that you would argue I, the I would one point. Guy. Yeah. You were the guy who couldn't get 24 out of 25 on a test? Yeah. What did you did they ever overturn that? Did you ever have one that you argued where they were like, "You know what? You're right." Uh usually more out of just uh fucking tenacity. Just be like, "Kid, if I give you this last point, will you shut the fuck up and go back to your seat so I can teach the rest of the class?" You're so making it, did it all work. about you. Yeah. Wow. And work. that would Most of the time. aggravate the other students, oh, of course. Oh, naturally. Right. I would right. hate me. I look back and I'm like, what a little shit I was. But that's the thing. In like grade 10, I realized it wasn't doing me any favors socially. Right. And that I could get by still still pleasing the people who wanted to see good performance out of me. I found an, a nice little compromise where I would be like, I'm, I'm pulling A's. 
but I'm still cool and I don't take this shit seriously no more. You know? And what was the change that you that you made in order to make that happen? I grew a shag. All you need to do is just grow shaggy hair, man. That's it. That's, That's what you did. Yeah. You grew shaggy <laughs> hair and all man. of a sudden people are like, yeah. oh, this guy. Yeah. Well, I, he's, he's still arguing his test marks, but oh, yeah. look at that hair. I cut back on the gel. I used to over, I dippity do the, oh, yeah. the old school ramp where it would be flat, the flat, 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 yeah. the fucking wall, Caesar. the white wall. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a Caesar? Caesar cut. Yeah. I thought Caesars were like scruffy jeans well, and you wear the wreath the Caesar, But the first way was straight and up. At the front. I had like, what, what? <laughs> the stop sign. <laughs> so you're, 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 you figured out how to not be the guy who's arguing 24 out of 25 is not right. And you're the third funniest guy in your family. Third yeah. funniest person in your family. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you're, you're going now, you've graduated. We're, let's say we're into high school now. What, what type of kid are you in high school? Popular? Yeah. Obviously, a very good-looking guy, right? Thank always. You. Thank you. Uh, Has it always been the case? Um, more or less, yeah. I used to have really bad acne problems and braces, right. but I still what had age a are nice we talking facial about? structure. That what age? Helped. You're right. What yeah. age are we talking about? Where the acne and the grade, pretty much seven through nine, those two years. Okay. And then you grade ten braces. was when I grew out the hair, right. stopped using so much dippity doo. Those are the shaggy years. Shaggy years, baby. New new year, new me. So 10, 11, 12, we got the shaggy hair. We got the no braces anymore. We got still the, bad acne, but bad acne, but yeah. who cares? Cause you got the shaggy hair. And oh, and are you still now you're obviously in incredible shape. Uh, is, is that, uh, something you're doing there as well? Yeah. Okay. I was always pretty naturally athletic. So naturally athletic football. What are, what are you playing? Soccer at that time. Soccer. I played okay. football the last two years of high school and I kind of regret it. I was never really made for football. I was like the little bunny rabbit fucking running around, avoiding getting my head taken off. Cause everybody so was twice my size. At this time, grade 10, 11, 12, are you popular? You a popular guy? I ran for student council vice president on zero platform. And won easily. Just because of who you are? <laughs> Just because of who I was. And I promised, uh, and I followed through on this, that I would make a do I would bring a dodgeball tournament to the school. Dodgeball tournament? I would organize to the a dodgeball tournament. That was my, that was my big selling point. Were the school point, people, the, the children get involved? Or you're bringing one in where they can watch? Yeah. You're organizing one where they can play? Where not everyone can play. It was like a first to sign up, first to get in. Right. Dodgeball, the movie, was written for, written about that experience. Right. But and you, I was, uh, what's his face? The bad guy. I was the snake. You're Dwight, Dwight Goodman. I'm Dwight Goodman. Or I'm, whatever. What's, what's his name? How am I? Ben Stiller. I'm Ben Stiller yeah. in that movie. Yeah. But White Goodman is his character name. Yeah. You're that guy. I'm that guy. So you win based on the fact that you look a certain way and you're I, a popular guy. Because I organized it, sure. I, I put together a team of the strongest, most Killers. athletic people. Right. Yeah, it was so rigged. Sure. It was so self-indulgent. And I won the position promising people that I would bring them a dodgeball tournament. And I rigged the deck so that we would crush everybody. And so uh, you go on now from high school and you're going to university, mm -hmm. right? In London. Yeah. You pick Western. Yeah. Why? Because I like to be completely honest, my brother was there and uh, there was a lot, a lot of decisions that I made up until like 
yikes, my mid twenties were all sort of based around doing what I, what I thought in my own head would make other people happy. And it was like, who, London, who are the other people? Like my family. Okay. So parents or everybody, everybody, okay. Especially parents, but everybody. And like having my brother there in London was was a huge selling point for me. So Just he's like, already going to Western. Yeah. And, and he you, had nothing but good things to say about it. It was a party school too. So there was something about that that I craved. Right. They had a good psychology program, which is what I was going into. That's what you took as psychology. Yeah. And anything else or just that? I meandered around. I deviated and I like went off the path and then came back. And why that? I already knew I wanted to be a comedian. Right. So the university thing... Uh, to begin with was I was doing that just to like, just to appease the status quo that it was like, you aren't going to get a good job. You aren't going to be worth anything unless you go to university. So again, family pretty much coming into play or society, I guess in that, in a general sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. like if you don't take this path, you can't get hired and, and it's great to have dreams or whatever, but if you don't do this, you're fucked. Yeah. Right. And that's not to say I didn't believe Right. That like a university education is important. I still do. Sure. But at the same time, there were those were the strongest guiding factors kind of thing. But in actuality, you have a what do you have right now? A degree? I have a three year major in psych. In psychology. Five years. At at any moment (laughs) since you have received that degree, have you ever used it? Uh, I mean, explicitly, maybe. I mean, sort of. I still retain a lot of that information. I mean. It's the social social psychology stuff that I find the most interesting. Human right. beings in groups. You know, when a lot of people hear that I took psych, they're like, oh, you must be analyzing me right now. I'm like, I took psychology, not psychic mind reading. Like, what do you, what the fuck do you think it is that they right. teach in university? Uh, but like, I don't know. Social psych is really fascinating. I find that human beings in groups are monsters. We just, we lose our minds. Individually, we can all be fascinating, beautiful people thorough, well thought out, just uh, so much potential individually. But as soon as you lump us together, we lose our fucking minds. And it's, I think it's tragic and I see it, I just, it's so prevalent to me now that I can't not see it all the time. And that's why you took psychology in the first place? Was your fascination kind of with us as a society and how we interact with each other and that type of thing? Yeah. But you've never actually pursued any career in it that wasn't, you knew going in, mm. I'm. this isn't what I'm going to do. This isn't my career path. I'm just interested in this. My family needs me to go to university or needs me to do something. So I'll do this because I'm kind of interested. But I know I'm not going to work in this field. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, and that's kind of your it's thought. And like it's a soft science. So I can get away with saying like I, I did uh, a science, but I didn't have to you know struggle through biology or physics or Right. Any of those kind of things. The right. Harder chemistry. And so you're you're in university. Now you're living in London. Yeah. Um, residence first year. I missed the due date to apply for res. Of course. And you yeah. know what? Uh, of all I know about Al Val, missing a due date. <laughs> if I had to guess, if somebody said uh, there's three re- the, here are the top three reasons he might have missed the opportunity to live in a residence. Here are the three reasons. If missed a due date was on it, I would go. That's that's the one, for sure. So you missed the due date, and now what do you have to do? Uh, now, it just kind of fell into place. I met a guy at this. It was like 
this mini course that you took at the university before you started, it was like how to write an essay for university. And it was like this intensive thing that I met a guy who was in a very similar situation to mine. And we were like, do you want to, I don't know, find a place together? And it all just kind of fell into place. And we spent four years living together. He's an awesome dude. And so you're, you're now, so now you're living in London, you're going to university. Um, where does, where does the stand up come in? Within the first month. Oh, so at Western there is, there was a comedy club, a UWO, uh, comedy club, which did like mostly improv. They would meet every week to play who's line games and they didn't take it particularly seriously. Like they had a troupe that you could audition for and they would perform at all the reses all over the place. But like, you know, it was a hobby. They were all hobbyists. And then I would show up and be like, I'm making this a career. Get out of my way. Right. You know? And like, I don't know. It was, I, that's what I, when I look back on those five years, I think it's kind of cool that we all found each other. There was this sort of boom in London of comedians who just out of nowhere got really intense about it. And we all just found each other. Not to, am I skipping ahead? I know you're doing this chronologically, but. We'll fucking get there. Anyways, first month that, I, oh, uh, so <laughs> what I'm are you taking over, about? man. You can fucking leave. I'm taking over now. All right. I'll see you later. All right. Uh, welcome to Alval's fireplace chat. There's no fireplace. Yo, but this interview is fire though, dog, still. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, you get I'm, into stand-up comedy. You're, you're, UW, you're at Western University. Yeah. You get into the UWO comedy scene, and you're doing... Nobody's taking it seriously. You're taking it seriously. Because this is what you want to do. You're doing the psychology stuff to, to you know, do whatever with your family, make them happy. But you know in your mind and in your heart and your gut, you know comedy is what I really want to do. This yeah. is what I want to do. So UWO's got a, a comedy thing. Why would I not be in it? Yeah. And are you doing... Are you doing stand-up? Are you doing improv? What are you doing? Sketch or like Both, what, what, everything? Everything all is all a part of it. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to be everything to everyone all the time. That's like a that's a recurring theme in my entire life. If you want to dig deep, I I want to be everything to everyone all the time, and I want to be the perfect encapsulation of all that shit. You want to be everything to everyone all the time. Yeah. That must weigh on you like, like. Because that's impossible. Yeah. Right? Oh, I'm like, I'm two mistakes away from a mental breakdown. Really? Oh, I'm juggling Every, a lot of shit. Always? Always. You walk around with that? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, I get hung up. Like, if I have an exchange with a stranger that doesn't go well, if somebody, like, it says something rude to me, or if I, or if I, I don't know, if I even fucking step on somebody's toes or make a stupid mistake and somebody's like, hey, man, what the fuck? Then that shit... I will think about it way longer than is normal and natural and healthy. It will like kind of plague my day to be like, oh, that old lady doesn't like me. Someone you never met. Yeah. There was a TTC worker at the station off my house who I would always make a point to like look at and nod and give like, hey, you know, to be to be really smiley and cheery to the guy just so he would like me. And then it turned where I would dread doing it. 
if I was in a bad mood and I was and I was really in my head, I was like, I still gotta say hi to the guy. I still gotta wave. I still gotta look smiley. Why? He, because you think if you me, don't, yeah, he's gonna be like that guy's an asshole. If he sees me mad one time, then he's he's gonna be like, everything I thought about that guy, it's a complete lie. What an asshole. So he looked mad one time. Would you say your dick. entire life is basically spent trying to make everyone like you? It's maddening. Yes. Like, has this gone on since you were a child? Oh, yeah. When wow. I like, I think when I grew out the shag, that was sort of the turning point where I was like, I need to stop being a dick to people. There's, an, there's a better way of, I think part of it is, there's a lot mixed in there. I think, excuse me. I think there's like, I can get, I can learn how to charm people. If I can learn how to charm everyone, be like the most likable, then in turn, I will get validation back. They'll like me. I will have friends and I can get most of what I want. And that's a really callous way of breaking it down, but it's also, it's very human and emotional. It's like, I need to be valid. I need to be liked. I need to be validated and accepted. So why ever risk that by directly entering in conflict with somebody. What happens if you know someone doesn't like you? What happens oh, inside it. yourself? You know 100% they don't like you. Has anyone ever told you they don't like you? Or do you just... Is that something you feel? Most of the time it's in my head. But right. I can't recall off the top of my head somebody saying that to me. I friend. can't imagine anybody saying to you I don't like you. Yeah, it's been a long time. I cannot imagine that. You, Pre-shag you, era. What you've told me now makes sense that you've spent your whole life basically trying to avoid people not liking you. But I would say that it would shock me to my very core if I ever met somebody who was like, Al Val, I, I do not like, I do not care for that guy. Yeah. You know, because you are like, people ask me a lot, you know how you get into conversations with people and they're just like, you start talking about like the nicest people you've ever met. I would always say you're like the nicest guy I've ever met. So it would like shock me if, but I've always thought of it as like, why the fuck is this guy so nice? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, like what is it? And now it makes sense. Yeah. You don't want people to dislike you. Therefore you go overboard of nice where mm -hmm. you, you are beyond nice where most people are not like that. Oh yeah. Right. You want to take it another level deeper? Uh, always. I, I think there's like some deep seated abandonment is issues in there. Interesting. Where it's like I could, I could score points with somebody. If, if we're talking like a ledger or some kind of like a meter, some yeah. exchange, then I've scored points to fill up this meter. I'm up to here. And I've overblown it in my head, this, this abandonment, this fear of abandonment, that like one mistake is going to turn that meter to zero and that person's fucking gone. Once they can't get any, what they want out of me, they're fucking gone. But where did that start? I think I'm working it out. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I think part of it has a lot to do with fighting for space and attention in a big family. I think that probably has something to do with it, especially a really competitive one where everybody's an overachiever. Right. Is like, you know, you're only as good as your last A++, which is probably why I would fight so vehemently for like that last point was like, if if I get perfect, I can stand out. Because otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm quiet around my family. And being, standing out, there were one of two types of standing out in my family. Either you stood out as a problem or you stood out as the champion kind of thing. And not to say that my parents fostered this sort of 
competitive thing. It all just kind of grew organically, right? That's kind of what happens when you when you're raised under a father figure that's downright heroic. You know what I mean? You know, to grow up under that, like what can you possibly achieve in your life? You know, especially as a kid, what can you possibly do where it's like, hey, dad, look what I did today. Oh, that's great, son. I, I, I fucking saved a life. Not that your dad does that. I don't think your dad was coming home at the end of the day like, hey, why don't we all sit around and talk about how many lives yeah, I yeah, saved? Yeah. Uh, but, but still, just to have that weigh on you mm-hmm. uh, and, and then to be, because I know one of your sisters is a doctor. Your brother, is he not a doctor of some sort now as well? He went to UBC for naturopathic medicine. Right. But what he does is like, he calls it concierge medicine, which is like this sort of, it's all things. It's like, it's, that's my fucking phone. I'll, I'll throw it out the window. Can I, do you guys want me to stop? I'm just getting messages like crazy. My family has a feed that they just like. Shall we pause? I guess let's take a break since Al couldn't put his uh, phone on pause and Dan's got a piss. Do I need to explain the malfunction? We that take my a break in every at? episode. I can't turn it Why don't off? we take a fucking break? The fucking power button is malfunctioning and I can't turn. You can't turn that to like silent. I'm done. I'm done. There's no way to you put want, it on silent. You want a deep interview with Al Val? I did. Well, I, that's I as we were getting deep into as we're it. gonna go. Dan's pissing. I don't even know if we're recording right now because Dan's in the fucking pisser. Al's leaving. This is all fucking. You know what? Out. I don't care if you don't like me anymore. You fucking. You broke my trust. This episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by the Big Fish Steak and Lounge in Sarnia, Ontario. One of my personal favorite restaurants in in the world. I was going to say in the country, but no, in the world. They have some of the greatest food I have ever had. Every single time I eat there, I think to myself, it will never get better than what I have just eaten. And the next time I go back, they top it once again. It's that good. If you live in the Sarnia area, make sure you book your reservation for lunch or dinner or hell, book your reservation for both right now. Do it tonight. What are you going to cook for dinner tonight probably something awful don't do that head on over to the big fish steak and lounge if you don't live in sarnia i suggest you make a trip down just for the food or if you're going to be in the area stop in and have one of the greatest meals you will ever have this episode is also sponsored by the car lot etc in sudbury ontario where they make buying your next vehicle very very easy let's say you go online you find a vehicle that you want to test drive but you can't quite make it in, no problem at all. They will bring the vehicle to you so you can take that test drive right from your own home. They do have the largest used truck inventory in the north. They also have the best selection of cars, SUVs, and vans. If you're like me and your credit is, let's say, not great, that's no problem. They do have options for everyone. You can also trade in your vehicle. They offer the best trade-in value in the north. So head on over to the website, thecarlot.ca, and book a test drive right now. This episode is also sponsored by MVP Properties. For all of your property management needs in southwestern Ontario and the GTA, big or small, these folks do it all. From helping you find great renters for an investment property to large-scale property management, MVP Properties is a complete solution property management provider 
based out of the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Problems with your current property manager? No problem. Give them a call. They'll be happy to give you great service at a reasonable rate. Visit mvpproperties.ca or call toll-free 1-844-284-RENT. That's 1-844-284-7368 or locally at 226-499-4687. This episode is also sponsored by Laughing Viking Studios in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Laughing Vikings is a digital media studio and live entertainment production company turning delusions into reality. Located in the heart of Toronto's TV and film district, the studio is the ideal home for creators, actors, podcasters, photographers, and filmmakers who need a convenient and flexible space to create. Book your studio time for self-tapes, podcasting, film shoots, photo shoots, casting sessions, workshops, and rehearsals, and ask about their memberships. Visit laughingvikings.com today. You're how old when you start stand-up comedy? 18. 18 years old. And so you're getting into the, through it through the comedy scene the co or the comedy club there mm -hmm. right in yeah. in london um and what's your first oh you uh this will, okay let's put a pin in what i'm thinking in my brain we'll get back to it when we get to like this past year the crazy year that i've had yeah i have a funny story about that first six months of joining the uwo comedy club that's like really poetic but it doesn't make sense now uh It'll be funnier in context. But you did just mention the year you've had. Yeah. Which is, of Don't course, a crazy... Well, I mean, you brought it up, so we might as well get into it. Yeah. You know what? From 18 to 29... A whole bunch of bullshit happened that you really don't need to know about. I meandered around. I tried pleasing people. I I thought I would be like a cheap imitation of Dane Cook for about 10 years in my act. And now I'm on the other side of it. And now I'm being authentically me and it feels kind of cool. Right. I'm still kind of, a lot of people think I, I do an impression of Dane Cook. Still? Yeah. Now? Yeah. I'm really physical. And I don't write. I don't write. I'm right. up there and I wave my arms around. Any purist comedian who has punchlines and writes his material yeah. will always have some like backhanded thing to say about like, you really waved your arms around a lot for that one. <laughs> they said that to you? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I can read between the lines. But are you getting right? response? Are you getting laughs? Are you getting uh, like people liking it? You're killing it, baby. Right. <laughs> what so the mean. hell was that? I'm trying it on. What was that I'm maneuver? Is this money? It's a, yeah. So Johnny Manziel or whatever is that? Who? <laughs> Johnny Manziel, the failed football player who got really cocky by doing this and then he plummeted. I have no idea. Like played one that? season for the Montreal Alouettes. No uh, clue. Okay, anyways. Not a clue what you're I tried it about. on. It's not working. I'm trying to merchandise and brand myself. I'm, I was By I've been doing going, a Johnny Manziel by do, who didn't work out from out. the sounds well, of it? Fuck you. I'm trying things on, all right? Can I, don't I have the space to do this? And I thought this was a welcoming space where I could try different things. I, I mean, you can as long as they're yours. You don't okay. need to try Johnny Manziel's approach. Well, it's like I always Failed say. approach, it sounds like. No, no, 
you know. Doing this with your fucking hands. I mean, I stole that from somebody else, but you know. Johnny Manziel, whoever the hell that is. It's like I always say, wobble bobble. You say that? Always. Why? What does it mean, wobble bobble? It means no worries for the rest of your days. That's a kuna matata. What? It's not wobble bobble. That's a kuna matata. It's from Lion King. Yeah, but it's in a different language. Wobble bobble? What language is that? German. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... That was the comedy portion of the podcast. Yeah, good work. Thanks. So let's cut to the the last year of your life, okay? Tell me about, what was it, a year ago that Mm. you came out of the, do you call it coming out? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, As? As queer. Queer. Yeah. Which means what? It's a cop out. It's an umbrella term. Okay. Because it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of things, you know? I have a history of dating women, and now I've started to sort of branch out and explore beyond that. And now I'm sort of, I've slept with men, women. I do a joke about it in my act, and I'm not going to burn it here, you know? No. Wobble, wobble. I'm not interested in the joke portion. I'm interested in the real portion. Okay, I'll be real. Queer covers a lot of things, right? Because to me, it's, it's... Maybe it's me still sort of coming to terms with a lot of it, but it's it's a non-pretentious way of saying I'm like a pansexual, bi-gender person. Right. Which has like, you know what I mean? It has that pretentious ring to it where it's like, this is just a simplified version of like, that's all you need to know is I'm, I'm, a, I'm out there. I'm out there, man. Right. Yeah. Because you, you have dated women mm. exclusively for a while. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But while you're dating them, are you experimenting with men at that time? Only in between breakups, like one or two hookups. Right. Kind so you're of not gross dating. back alley, like Craigslist. Really? Shifty shit. Literally met in an alley or like? No. 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 So but that's like you go to Craigslist and you only, it just attracts a certain type of like deeply closeted people. Right. Yeah. And so you're so you break up with a girl. Mm-hmm. Was that the reason you broke up with the girls? Was I'm I'm interested in guys or or they're not related? It was uh, they are related, but on a uh, subconscious level. Like it, there was just a tension that every one of my relationships lasted about like a two to a two and a half year mark. Right. And progressively, as time went on, I started feeling more and more claustrophobic and locked in, and I couldn't put my finger on why this was happening. But it felt like by the end, I was like, I need to get the fuck out. And a lot of it was because I was hiding a lot of these sort of things that were coming up in my mind. Like the cross-dressing thing I've been doing since I was a teen. Like since I hit puberty, you know what I mean? Like my my family uh, hoards a lot of old clothes. So they were like kept in this side room. So I would like, I just had this sort of treasure trove of like outdated, gross, <laughs> fucking secondhand hand-me-downs. God, I hope my family doesn't watch or listen to this. But... Um. Yeah, like so that they was, have a I would room sneak of that shit. women's old clothes. Yeah, basically, and so that's where it started. At yeah. what age? Like thirteen, fourteen. And why? 
Like what? What drew you to that, or what I was like your the first? Way it felt first of all. I think women's clothing just feels so nice. Like why the fuck? Why? Why are men's boxers made of fucking sandpaper? Why can't we enjoy the same? Like satin? Satin's really fucking nice. It's lovely. Yeah. Isn't it the best? Yeah. It feels so nice on your skin. Why can't we have that? But also there was I don't know. Like it's. Is that how it started for you? Did it start as a? Why can't we have? Satin, I want to feel what that, feel what that, like, see what that feels like, or how did it start? And I at think what age? It was also, uh, to be completely real, I remember, do you remember the music video Lady Marmalade with like fucking Pink? Yeah. And Lil Kim and Maya. Maya. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it was oh, like, yeah. like, you know, uh, like burlesque, lingerie. That sort of thing. That to me, that video came out like right when I was I was fucking shifting into fifth gear of puberty. That was when I was taken off. So that was like a really pivotal moment in my head. That and like I was just I was finding porn on Napster and LimeWire. So I was just starting to explore that shit. And I think fundamentally there was this sort of uh, like I that female form was so profoundly erotic to me. That there was something that I kind of wanted, like, where am I going to find a little camera on Maya or something like that? Unless I sort of, like, play fucking pretend and recreate it in my head. Is this gross? Stop me if this is gross. No. Why would it be gross? I don't know. What's so gross about listening that? listening to this being like, so you fucking put on some panties to get your rocks off? Is that your identity now? And no, that's not true. That's sort of how it started. It manifested itself in this sort of But who gives a fuck about that thing, person anyway? It, like, yeah, it just, it, it took really primitive, basic roots at first. That's right. how it sort of expressed itself at the beginning. Yeah. But now that I'm older, like, I realize it's about more than that shit. You know what I mean? And I wonder how much of it is is purely uh, <sighs> vicarious. Like, this, this idea that the female form is so much more enticing, beautiful to behold, desirable... Mm-hmm. So there's, I think, this people-pleasing thing that I got going on, being everything to everyone at all times, I think that definitely has a part to play in this, where it's like, I also want to be the hottest chick, you know what I mean? I also want to be desired the same way I've always desired women. And what was the first thing you put on or or, or dressed in, or what, what was your introduction to that? Probably, oh God... Okay, disclaimer. If your last name is valueless, turn this off right now. I'm giving you a second. Okay. Uh, probably a pair of panties. Pair of panties from that you found in your house or you went and bought? That I found in my house. Found in your house. Okay. And so interested. <laughs> so you put them on. Feels right? Feels uh, feels wrong. Feels wrong. In my confused 13-year-old okay. brain, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. You know? But it feels exciting and fun. Do you wear them throughout your day? Do you put them on no. for a few minutes, take them off? or how, uh, what, A few what's... minutes, sneak them on. Right. Feel, I... feel that that uh, simultaneous rush with like this, uh, the, the taboo-ness of it being like, this is this shit ain't right. You shouldn't be doing this. You could get in big trouble. You could right. get fucking abandoned if somebody finds you like this. Right. You need to lock this shit away because this is bad. This is not natural. This is not good. Interesting. At the same time. 
but also feels good. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. He feels like I yeah. like this. It feels fun. It feels liberating. Right. On some level. Do we start with the panties and then like does that go panties and then stockings? And then it, it graduates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. it evolves. It right. like, you know, when when I have the house to myself on the rare occasions, like I would I would go exploring in all the junk that was left out in that side room and just like find a fucking dress or something like that. Doll up. For a night? For a whole night? Or do you just do it for a few I minutes? Mean, I got a big family, so like those moments where you have the house to yourself came very few and far between. Right. So it would be like, and nobody ever caught. I'd be lucky if it was an hour at a time. Family never came home. There were some close shaves. There were some close calls. Some close calls. Right. Yeah. Now, are you just dressed in the clothes? Are are you putting on wigs? Are you painting nails or anything at that point, or it's just the clothes? Since I, I would always have so little time, yeah. it would be just the clothes, like kind of on, on, off, on, check myself out, be like, ooh, cool, this is sweet, <laughs> you know, fucking run around the house a little bit and then uh, freak out because I could be, I'd, I'd be like, they could surprise me and come home early at any moment. And, and you know, like I said, that tension, that ever-present screaming tension between these two voices that are in direct conflict with each other was like, it would be a lot. So it would just be an intense experience all around, just feeling like there's something severely wrong with me while this is happening. Right. And so now we're 15, you're 15. You got your first girlfriend. Mm -hmm. You've been doing this for a couple of years. Yeah. Does she know anything about this or you keep it from her? Does anyone know? Or is this just you? Nobody knows. So you date her, that ends, you know, it's a teenage relationship, yeah. ends normally. Teenage right? relationships, bah, 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 bah. And, and, and so now we're in university, now you're starting to do stand-up and all that kind of stuff. You're getting into a couple of relationships throughout university. And, and this is still ongoing, though. Yep. Now, are you, now you're living, now you're not with your family. Yeah. There's no side room. So where do the clothes come from so now? Now that I'm living on my own, I'm ordering shit online. Every once in a while, I might go to some like, uh, I don't know, like lingerie shop and be like, it's for my girlfriend. It's for my girlfriend. You living by yourself at this point or are you with roommates? And I'm living with J.B. Smalls and then like the fifth year with a group of guys. Does he know? Do they know? Nobody had any idea. They had no idea. So you're doing this oh, completely yeah. on your own. Nobody knows what's going on. I'm hiding this from everybody but it is ongoing from the age of 13. Yeah. I very quickly became an expert at covering my tracks because I was so terrified of, of being found out that like every minute detail I, I had on lock. You know what I mean? So like I had, I had little spaces to hide this shit and like very convenient ways of just covering my ass. What would the people that know you at that time, what would they say about Al. Hmm. That's a... That's an interesting question. I'm not sure. What would they say? Uh... I wonder... I wonder how much... I, I honestly can't say. I wonder if how much... How much of who I was back then... A lot of it 
feels in retrospect. I mean, it's hard to say because now I'm looking back on it, right? I've outgrown all that shit. So a lot of who I was felt manufacturous. All right. You know what I mean? Like, I used to wear armbands, but, like, I always liked accessories. That's kind of, I like, this is, what is this? I like it. I don't know. I just always liked wearing things on my arm. And, and I had dreads. You met me when I had dreads. Right. A lot of my personality was sort of this, and it all makes sense now, that I was projecting, that I was, like, protecting the 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 underside of it. I was of protecting who I really was by being, like, I'm going to show you who I am and you don't right. have to ask any questions beyond that. You know what right. I mean? I'm the wacky dreadlocky white dude with black and blonde bleach blonde dreads, <laughs> wears armbands, does comedy man. You know, I think uh, a lot of people would probably have seen that. And I wonder how many of them kind of saw through it as a ruse to be like, this guy's just looking for who he might be. I wonder. At the end of your university, are you dating? Someone, a, a female. Yeah, Heather. How many men had you been with by that point? Probably like two or three. Two or three in these Craigslist back alley situations. Yeah. Like hush, hush. Yeah. Nobody knows this about you. Not yeah. one person in your life knows that you've been with any of these men. No. But uh, Heather, Yeah. who... Uh, I can, I will never not say, speak ill of her. She right. was fucking amazing. Terrific. I and loved I've, her. I've never loved anybody with more of me yeah. than her. Yeah. Uh, she was great. Awesome great person. Yeah. And like, I, okay. So I came, I came out to her about the cross-dressing shit, like close to the tail end of our relationship when things were already a little bit Why? shaky. Is that because of you or because she found something? Um, she, so it was because of me, I just felt all this inner turmoil that I was like, I just need to, I don't know, maybe if I tell her this, then it'll be a weight off my shoulders that, I don't know. Or maybe that was my, my subconscious way of being like, maybe she'll hate it so much that she'll break up with me and then like problem solved. I didn't have to be the one to do it, which is really cowardly. And, and I, and I, I resent myself for that. But that was my way of making sure I'm always on somebody's good side. That it was like, you you get to go away carrying the responsibility of the breakup. And I sort of caused it to happen by planting that the gross fact about me. Like, you know. Right. But anyways, I came out to her and she was like, yeah, I, uh, I came across on your computer some pictures that you took. And I was like, yikes. And I never brought it up. I kind of, I've just been wondering if... That was something that was a one-off thing. She was like, I was just really confused by it, but I never thought it was Do you my know what the pictures thing. were? Uh, yeah. Were they of you dressed as a woman? Yeah. Full woman, uh, like wig, uh, everything? Or So by this time, you're dressing in full female stuff. No makeup, though. No makeup, but Gross. hair? Yeah. Or, or are you doing the dreadlock thing? Well, that's the thing. I would like, I would buy a wig big enough to cover the dreads. I would tie them up real tight in a fucking do-rag. And then, yeah. You know. And, and then, so you got the wig on and then yeah. you put like a dress on or something and take pictures of yourself. Yeah. So still, nobody knows this about you. You're taking pictures yeah. and she just happens to come across them on your computer. Yeah. Doesn't and not like, anything. and not perverted shit. You know no. what I mean? Like. No, no. Just. Just me Wanting to see yourself as a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. 
And so she comes across him, doesn't say anything. You kind of come out to her and she reveals at that point, like, oh shit. Yeah, I did. I actually found these pictures and I've been a little curious about this. Yeah. But never said anything. No. Did that bother you or were you happy she never said anything until no. that moment? To me, I think she just she handled the whole thing gracefully. Right. Because she was that whole conversation went like she was like, I'm not there's nothing about it that I'm into. It doesn't turn me on. It, conf- it frankly, it confuses me. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it. But uh, if that's something that you need to do, then for sure, like, I don't I don't love you any less. Uh, and if it's something that you want to incorporate in your life, I'll try to keep an open mind about it, but just don't wear my clothes. And I was like, all right, fair deal. <laughs> Were you wearing her like, clothes in the pictures? No. No. Okay. So she was just saying as a general rule. Yeah. As a but general I did try on like one or two of her panties. She asked me and I was like, yeah, I, I tried on one or two of them. And then she said, please. And then not. she was like, yeah, don't do that anymore. Right. Fair. But ultimately that relationship... <laughs> ended yeah at that time uh shortly after that shortly after that yeah right it was already kind of on the rocks right yeah and so at that time now you're 20 what are you 28 then 27 25 or 6 okay so at that time now you're single again uh do you experiment once again with Men, or do you go back to women, or what are you doing at that time? Uh, yeah, I kind of experiment a little bit more with guys. And mind you, like, the whole time, every time I do engage with men, it's like me as this, it's always like this gender-specific role where I'm like, I have to be the lady, you have to be the dude. You know what I mean? Every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like pure, it was like fantasy play kind of thing. So you have never been with a man dressed as a man? Ever? It's it's No, I mean, like, now I have, but... Up now and, you have, but, but at that point. For the longest, longest time. Right. Yeah. Right. It was like an insecurity thing. It was like, I I honestly, it's like partially this probably internalized homophobic thing about it. That it's like, this is the only way it's natural, you know? And then, so you experiment a, a couple more times with men. Mm-hmm. But then back, you get into another relationship with a woman. Yeah. Now, after a couple of instances with men mm-hmm. and was that because you didn't want to date men openly you just kind of wanted to experiment and now you want to get back to it or how did that how do you how do you get back to a woman at that point um it like I, it's or is it, like or I said, is it strictly I've about been appearances? attracted to it's it's both yeah yeah, yeah. so it's right. like i've always been attracted to women so that was the thing it was like this this side thing was fleeting to me. It felt like it was something that I, up until then, like I've, I've had 13 years experience locking it away mentally into a box off to the side. Right. And I was getting really good at that. Like I have these densely built defense mechanisms. So I would be like, yeah, I can just keep boxing it away, lock those thoughts away deep into my subconscious and then happily date a girl until it starts fucking poisoning me from the box outwards. You know what I mean? So like, that was the thing. I would be happily in these relationships, but still one foot in, one foot out. And the whole time thinking, I I don't know if I want to be with this girl or with a man or like very confused the whole time. Yeah. Right. Conflicted. This, conflicted, but only uh, consciously as much as it would be like, I'm, I'm happy with her, but this isn't going to last. And I can't identify uh, what it is that makes me think this way, but I know that, I know that 
it's it's not gonna last right and it was also part of me like not being able to come to terms with it you know what i mean like i knew why it wasn't gonna last it was all these secrets that i was fucking hiding what is the moment about a year ago i guess what is the moment or what happens in you that says you know what I, I I just I I have to come out. I think when you carry when you carry that sort of weight as long as I had, what thirteen to twenty nine, sixteen years, it it really does. Like I said, it poisons you from the inside out. So there was I I started getting sick of being the reason why these uh, beautiful people that I would meet and connect with why. Uh, and maybe I'm taking too much responsibility on myself, but it was, it's not fair that I'm not giving somebody all of me and it's poisoning every relationship that I'm in. And I'm kind of wasting these people, people's time by not being totally thoroughly authentic with them. So it kind of hit this point where it was like, I need to tell somebody, I need to tell somebody what's going on. And I have a gay uncle in San Francisco of all places who I'm like one day just with all the angst, all the the two voices constantly screaming at each other. Finally, I was like, if anybody's going to understand, it might be him. And even telling him was kind of terrifying to me because I never really vocalized any of this shit to anybody. And even when I did with Heather, it was like clumsy and it was, it was, it's all terrifying, right? Right. Some shit that I felt ashamed of for 16 years to come out about it is like, it's, it's, it might not sound particularly brave, but it was probably the, it was a breaking point for me. It was something that I had to be courageous about. So, uh, yeah, came out to my uncle, he received it well. And that's sort of, it's a snowball effect after that. Once you tell one person, you tell another person and the more, the, the more people respond positively, the easier it becomes with every single person. And for me, the breaking point was I was on tour with Josh Elijah hilarious comedian great friend of mine fucking awesome dude uh we co-headlined a tour out west and i i came out to him about the whole thing and i honestly like i don't i was i have that abandonment thing in my head too right where i'm like if i tell this person they're gonna humiliate me in front of everybody there's like a subtle mistrust i have with comedians where they're gonna take uh not you but like they're gonna take uh vulnerable like uh, important information and use it selfishly to get some petty laugh or something like that like there are a lot of petty people in the industry and i misread people like josh and like you who i thought might ridicule me to my face or something i don't know you know you tell yourself all all kinds of weird fucking stories about how people are going to react so i came out to josh and then he was like dude that's awesome and you need to talk about this stuff on stage during this tour and I did for like I, I I sandwiched it in the middle of this set at Yuck Yucks Vancouver and my gay uncle was there for it and my brother and his girlfriend and I talked candidly for like two minutes and it was like the scariest thing I think I've ever done but I talked about like cross-dressing and it got a huge response it crushed did your brother I, know yeah. at that point you had already told him yeah he already knew who was the first person you came out to? Was it Josh? My uncle. It was your uncle. Yeah. But after that? After that, I think Paul, my brother. And then... What did your uncle... What was your uncle's one. reaction? My, my uncle was uh, honored. 
he was honored that I would tell him this sort of thing, that I would confide in him about that. And like really sympathetic and empathetic and just beautiful. So he, he was like, the- he, as when I came out to him, he was like, uh, okay, let's plan a trip where you come down to San Francisco and let's like reconnect because we, we spoke kind of, we would exchange only on special events, you know, birthdays and shit like that. But like sure. this, this really connected us a lot closer. So he was like, come down to San Francisco, I'll pay for your flight and we'll hang out and we'll bond. We'll, you can talk to me about this shit. So it's great. And then after, so after that, who is the next person you tell? Probably Paul, my brother, either Paul or, oh, I think it was Steve, my roommate. And how was that received by Steve? Steve is, uh, Steve is, is one of my best friends, best friend, top friend and roommate. He's my roommate and my friend. It's 2019. We're allowed to have these types of relationships, by the way. Of course. Right. Uh, and, uh, he handled it really well. He was like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, you want to play Smash Brothers? <laughs> that, that was, was his reaction. How that conversation went. No, that's a that's an oversimplification. But like Steve is like, yeah, that doesn't really change anything about you. I know who you are. You're a good person. We're, we're best buds. It doesn't change anything. And then so after Steve is, is your brother. Yeah. What's his reaction? Uh, again, doesn't change anything. I'm I'm grateful that you came out. I'm proud of you. Uh, I got your back. Just positive reaffirmations all around. Then who's after that? Probably another one of my university friends, Omid, I think. Maybe my little sister in there. The ordering starts to get foggy because, like I said, it's a, snow- it's a snowball effect. Once you tell one person, it just gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. Who's the toughest person you had to tell? What was the toughest conversation you had? Right. Yeah. How did that go? Uh, not good. Not good. Um, yeah. My mom is, she, she, I like, I come from a Lithuanian background and she's, there's, it's a very conservative one and she comes from a different era where like, even though her brother is gay, she still struggles with a lot of those things. So, and especially, I think my mom, I think the biggest hurdle for her was feeling betrayed by me that I lied for so long. I think to her, it seemed like I was lying that, uh, I did it sort of out of spite. She felt, she felt slighted. Like I was doing it kind of, uh, intentionally, you know what I mean? Like out of spite. To hurt her? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which obviously isn't the case. And her reaction kind of in and of itself proved why I was so terrified of coming out. So, yeah. Uh, was she the last person you told of your kind of inner circle? Yeah. 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 And I think that was part of part of also why she felt betrayed was that, you know, at one point she did ask me. She was like, who else have you told? And I was kind of like, to everybody else. Right. Yeah. You're the last one. Which, you know. I feel, I certainly feel guilty about it up to a point, but I think I don't, I don't regret it at the same time. I think I went about it with the best of my knowledge, with the, with what I had, man, you make the decisions with, you make your decisions based on how comfortable, how comfortable you are with these things. If you're up, if you're, if you're, you just, 
you know what to do in your gut and you might make mis- you might make mistakes i think part of how i came out was pretty clumsy i posted a picture of me dressed like a woman before i told my parents about that and i caught them off guard and i regret that i know that was uh again cowardly of me but like at the same time i i i'm not going to dwell on it because i know i had reasons to do all the things that i did so that doesn't excuse them but at least i can say that i had my reasons at least i know what my reasons were you know what I mean? Yeah. What was the most surprising reaction you got to someone you told? Um, Jeff, can I be honest with you? I'd appreciate it if you were. I think you surprised me. Me? Really? Mm-hmm. How so? Um, how incriminating can I, can I be here? You know what? If, if, it, if it doesn't fit, then you can edit this shit. Yeah, out. you can say whatever you want. Okay. Uh, back when we lived together... Yeah. For however long. What was it? Like a year and then off and then another yearish or yeah. something like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, whenever we would play NHL, you would, you would <laughs> liberally use the word faggot. You, oh, yeah, yeah. You would, you would get in fights in, ho- in hockey, <laughs> and you're a hockey player. Yeah. You would punch the shit out of somebody and be like, yeah, <laughs> take that shit, faggot. Yeah. 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 So, because I love the word, it's a fun word. It's yeah. a very funny word to me. Oh yeah! And <laughs> now that I'm it. part of the club, oh, but I never just, meant it. So I never meant it in the. Uh, I never meant it at, as any term of like sexuality or anything. I meant yeah. it in the Louis C.K. form of like you're being a faggot, like you're being a fucking totally. piece of shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, but when can, I'm I that can. sensitive. Right. Those little, the tiniest things. I'm like, yeah. So you, you honestly surprised me because I thought, I thought I like, I knew you were cool enough that you would be like, I don't, I don't get it, but I'll try sort of thing. That was sort of the the (laughs) reaction that I thought I would get from you. Right. But you were like, you were on, on the further end of it where you were like, yeah, you know, that's cool, man. You were jet. Oh man, I remember. It's all coming back to me now. We had that like hour long conversation over the phone. Yeah, I like walked home from downtown. It took me forever to get home. Yeah, I was on a walk also. Time. We were both walking the yeah. whole time because I I said my biggest thing was can I can I yeah. ask you questions because mm. I'm so curious yeah. about all of this. And that's what know? I love. I think that's my favorite reaction too. That's what I mean is that's why you surprised me was because you had my favorite type of reaction where it's like, okay, I, I'm curious when people want to know. Yeah. There's like, there's different levels of support where somebody's like, I support you. Go get them. Right. You're like, Okay, all right. <laughs> you can stay over there if you want to. You can cheer me on from a distance. But when somebody's like, hey, hey, tell me more about this thing. What yeah. about that? What about that? It's like genuine curiosity yeah. that means that you're invested. And I love that shit. That speaks volumes. Yeah, because I was really, because I've always, I mean, this is no secret to you, but I've always thought of you as like my little brother, you know? And, and, brothers uh, in arms. Yeah, brothers in arms. Brothers in arms. <laughs> Which is a ridiculous thing that we came up with at a, what movie we, was that? Expendables. Expendables, man. yeah, yeah. Um, what a garbage movie. But I was so, and st- you know, still am, but especially at that time, because it, it's a shocking thing to hear, right? Because you were so different. 
you you were you always had a girl as long as i knew you you always had a girl around or with you or a girlfriend or like you seem to be very much about women yeah you seem to be like incredibly about but not in like um an asshole way either you weren't picking up girls and fucking them and then saying get out of here and like you weren't that kind of dude you like genuinely cared and and like you were really into yeah. like being a, a boyfriend really my one night stands turned into two and a half year relationships yeah, yeah 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 and and that was always very that was the most shocking to me yeah. was like <laughs> oh wow really you you seemed so but then once you break it down cuz after a few questions it was like you you really got into the 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 honesty of I don't know if I'm attracted to women or I want to be that yeah. woman. Yeah. I remember you telling me that on that conversation was like I don't know if I look at a girl if I want to be with her if I'm attracted to her or I want to be her. And I thought, fuck, that's so fascinating to me because. Yeah, who wouldn't want to be her? Everyone's staring at her. And that's what I worry about. I wonder, like, I'm obviously uh, deep in therapy trying to figure all this shit out, where it all comes from and what it all means. But, so you talked to somebody about sort of the meaning, like the deeper meaning of all of this? Oh, yeah. Have you figured that out or, or is it an ongoing search? It's an ongoing search. I keep hitting a wall where I have, uh, you know, when you develop a way of boxing these identities and locking them away for 16 years. Right. Like I said, I got good at hiding. So I was even tricking myself about a lot of stuff. Sure. And therapy is this grueling process where I can't even, um, my, these tricks run so deep that I, my conscious, I can't even access them where sometimes like it keeps happening where she'll ask a really poignant question something like really cutting and i won't be able to hear it you know what i mean like i'll hear it but my mind just goes hazy i start getting distracted i look at patterns in the carpeting and the books on her shelves and she's like fucking stay focused what answer the question like let's explore this stay focused and i just it's like a deep the defense mechanisms and booby traps that i have in place in my brain run so deep that i lost control of them so sometimes when I try and get to the bottom of some of this shit, there's like my my deep brain is just like, no, nah, even you don't have access to this to this room. Sorry. Wow. I can't even fucking she's like, okay, let's explore that. And I'll be like, I can't, honestly, I can't. All I can see is a pattern of a guy with a big like a Pinocchio face on your carpet. And she's like, ignore the Pinocchio fo- face. Stay focused. I'm like I'm lost now. I can't remember. All I'm looking at is Pinocchio. Wow. Yeah. My own brain is fucking playing tricks on me because whatever is at the bottom of this hurts so bad that I can't, that it's just not going to let me get there. I got a lot of work to do. That's why therapy kind of sucks is every time I leave, I'm like, I leave sometimes thinking I am hopeless and I have way more work to go than I came in with. Is that true or is that how therapy gets you where you're supposed to go back to spend more money? Are they supposed I mean, to feel, are you supposed to feel that way? That, Seriously. No, that has crossed my mind for sure. And that's part of it is like it, it, at the bottom of it, like I'm, I'm paying this person. So even though we right. have a personal relationship, 
at the at the root core of it, it is a business transaction. And we had we even had an honest conversation about that that up, visibly upset her, where she was like, under all of that, when you strip it down, is the skeleton of what you think you and I are all about? Is it that this is a business transaction? I'm like, yeah, if I stop paying you, this ends. You know what I mean? It all goes back to the abandonment issues thing. Like, this is a trade. We are trading right now. And uh, I think that's that's definitely not the most helpful way of approaching therapy. But it's not something that I can get over either. Like, right. my pragmatic, logical brain is always going to recognize that that's a thing, man. That's the foundation of our relationship. Because it is a thing. It, it, yeah. You are paying to be there. So it is in the therapist's best interest yeah. for you to come back next week. There yeah. should always be something where it's like, well, let's explore that next time yeah. for more money. Mm-hmm. So you, to them, why would you ever be done? Now, in the in the general sense of a human, are you ever really done exploring everything about yourself? No, no. you're not. Which is where, I, but I've, that's all, like, I, w- I was in, I, I've talked to two therapists in my life, and the same, I had the same thought both times, was like, you, do you care about what I'm saying? Yeah. Or are you just looking for your money next week? Or like, because you help me, I, I feel better at the end, but I would also feel better if I talked to a friend for free and we talked about the same shit yeah. and we got this deep in, into it and they asked the right questions. Mm-hmm. Not and, and I don't mean to take anything away from uh, anyone in that field or psychologist or psychiatrist. Like I, I'm not I'm not shitting on that um, group of people or that, you know, profession. That's not my purpose here, but I, I'm just curious for you personally going through this as you go are you still in it now yeah. like you still go what do you monthly weekly i go bi-weekly bi-weekly it's I, i'm i'm a i'm broke i'm like sure it's expensive so i'm i'm caught between juggling like how much do i value my mental health because i do find that it is it has i mean i've had a pretty good year and i like to think that therapy helped yeah but like uh has it only been a year you've been there has that has that when it started was about a year two years ago okay yeah so you started did you start before you kind of came out to everybody i started roughly probably about the same time i came out to my uncle so is that something you talked to her about was hey i'm going through this and who should i talk to and she directed you to your uncle or, or or was it the uncle came first and then it was like okay i need somebody else to talk to yeah no, and now that I'm thinking back on it, I, I came to her like shortly after the whole trip to San Francisco. So I had already come out to him. I had already done the trip to San Francisco. And like now the ball had started to roll where I was coming out individually to friends and family one by one, slowly, really slowly. And was that something she talked you through? Well, that's the thing is like, I think early stages of therapy, especially for people like trust issues. I don't know why I'm pointing out. Do you have trust issues? Do you think? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I think stand-up comedians, I think, naturally probably have some yeah. little seed. I've never explored that much, but I think probably if I really got into it, I probably would. Yeah. My yeah. My parents divorced when I was young. Like, I probably have shit. You probably got you know? some shit. I got oh, I definitely have some shit. <laughs> Whether or not it's trust, I don't know, but I definitely have some shit. Everybody's got shit. Everybody's got Look, shit, man. Yo, that's life, man. You got I might call this plate. podcast everybody's got shit. Who everybody's knows? got shit. 
Yo, you get served a plate of shit, that's life. You just got to choose the seasoning you put on it. That's right. You dig in. That's true. Yeah. That's a good quote. Is that yours? I made it up. That's a good quote, man. Wobble, bobble, bobble. <laughs> wobble, bobble, everybody. <laughs> uh. Let's talk about right now. So when you do shows now, stand-up wise, yeah. do you do them uh, as a man or dressed like a woman? Both. How do you decide which one, which, is it based on a feeling or is it based on the room that you're performing in? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a number of things. First of all, I know, like, I need the time to get ready. Second of all, I need to know that it's a space where I, I won't feel like somebody's going to give me shit. Right. You know? And, like, I still get super nervous about leaving the house. Like, that's always an exercise in, like, deep breathing and, and pumping myself up, especially if I'm going alone. That's why I'm going to be completely honest. Alcohol definitely helps. Every time I dress up, I at least have like two or three drinks just to like take the edge off. and to get Before you get courage. dressed up or while you're... While I'm doing it before I leave. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So you get those couple drinks in you, feel loose, and then it kind of eases the yeah. tension for you? It helps the screaming voices in my head being like, right. everyone's looking at you. What are you doing? You're a weirdo. You're a freak. Wow. Wow. I know that's problematic. I know it's a crutch. I know it's something that I need to work on. But, uh, I mean, for now, I'm not, I'm not talking about getting smashed out of my mind. Right. But it is a tool lately for me to feel comfortable enough to, like, take, take control, be confident in it, go nuts. Interesting. Stop second-guessing every single move. You know? Yeah. If you could give advice to 13-year-old you that started dressing this way, and there's like a kid out there, 13 years old, who's sort of thinking about doing this, what advice would you give to that child or yourself? I think the advice that I would give me is different than the advice that I would give somebody else because I'm a firm believer in things. I, I don't believe in any sort of spiritual uh, things, things turn out. I don't believe in destiny, but I do believe in your, your, the thing, things turn out the way they do for a reason. And I don't mean that in some cosmic sense. I just think that you're ready for the situations that arise and I think my life has led me up to this point because of the decisions I made. And there's no advice that me now could give 13-year-old me that would change anything. Because I was going through some crazy shit at 13. So I would just, I would, with the good and the bad, I wouldn't give myself any advice back then. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like at least, at least I, I can be proud of the strides that I've made. As late as it is, it feels like 31 years old. I'm still, I'm still pretty young, sure, but it feels like I'm late to the game. And uh, courage is all, it's relative, right? We're all used to, you can say that a firefighter is brave for what they do, but it's sort of their reality that they're used to. And I think coming out takes its own sort of relative bravery. It's, you're not used to pushing yourself like that. So... I'm proud of the courage that I exercised and I know it took me a really long time to grow that courage, but I, I fucking, I, I did it. I got there eventually. 
I wish I could have did it sooner, but there's nothing that I could have said to young me that would have changed that. I had to struggle. I had to lock it into a box. I had to figure, I had to do all this shit to be me now, you know? And for better or worse, I am me now, so. And are you proud? I, I am. You are? Yeah. You should be. I think that what you did a year ago and what you continue to do, I think it took a lot of courage to say, hey, I'm not going to live a fucking lie anymore. Uh, I'm going to be me and whether you like it or not, who gives a shit? And uh, this is who I am. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean that because I, I think there's a lot of people in the world who are not living their real life or their like how they feel comfortable and i think they can look at someone like you and say hey if that guy can do this and 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 he can you know come out to his family and his friends and all that kind of stuff and and everything's turned out okay so far um then maybe i can too yeah yeah thanks man yeah um in the end are you about to do a wrap-up no, yeah. why? What else you got? I don't know. Let's hang out for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely hang out. We're going to wrap this up okay. uh, here cool. in a moment. But Bottom um, line, can I say one more thing? I'll uh, say several more things. To, to answer your question, sort of moving over to, I know you asked if I could give myself advice, if I could give somebody else advice. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, it may be unfair to give somebody else different advice than, than I would give myself. And maybe it speaks to my self-loathing that it would be like, no, fuck me. I'm not <laughs> giving shit-ass me any advice. But I will, I will offer anybody who's going through the same shit that I am. In the end, man, it is. It will be. It will always be the hardest thing in the world. To okay, no. Let me say this. I, I'm paraphrasing this quote, but I've always believed in everything that everything that you've always wanted is on the other side of fear. And I'm probably butchering that quote, but I always really this past year, especially, I've really connected with that. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I think it's just so, it resonates so hard with me that like the things that you're most afraid to confront are the things that you need to confront to, to get better, to break through, to be a better person, to be more honest, to live a happier, more authentic life, man. Everything that you're afraid of is just, a lot of them are stories that you tell yourself in your head that just frankly aren't fucking true. When I came out, it just reaffirmed the fucking, the friends that I've made, the chosen family that I've, that I've surrounded myself with, nobody let me down. I was right all along about all these awesome people that I surrounded myself with. Right. And I was so afraid to tell these people, to give these people me, that like everything I ever wanted was on the other side of that stupid ass fear where I thought everybody would just up and leave. And what's the worst that would happen if people did? I still live on. I'm I'm still alive. I still have my health. I can find a new chosen family. So in the end, everything that you want, everything that you desire is on the other side of fear. And it's the hardest thing to do, but it's the most rewarding. Huge thank you to Al Val for joining me here today on the podcast. 
If you want to see more of Al Val, make sure you follow him on all social media platforms. I believe it's at Al Val Comedy on, uh, on everything. Also, subscribe to his YouTube channel as well and uh, check out his CBC Gem taping, his, uh, his comedy special taping for CBC Gem as well. It is fantastic. A huge, huge thank you to Al Val for being my guest today. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for watching this on YouTube. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for downloading it, listening to it in the car, wherever you get your podcasts. This one is available. And uh, we will see you again next week, everybody. Bye.